Welcome, everybody. Um, we are live on the Michigan Buckpool page here and there, right? Yep. And we are live on our dog one page, too. So if you're following us on Michigan Buckpool, thank you, first off, uh, for having us. Um, we really appreciate this opportunity. Uh, Michigan Buckpool reached out to us last week um, and said, hey, we're, we're racking our brain. There's a lot of a lot of um, strange things that we're all dealing with right now. Uh, there's a lot of us at home. There's a lot of us um, that are that find ourselves with possibly a little bit more time than we're normally used to. And how can you know their their thought was how can we help um, our followers? And so they reached out, and I I'm I'm real grateful that they did. Um, asked me if I'd be interested in in helping them out and working with them. It's exactly what we needed um, because we are working on a few different um, projects and things that we're trying to do on our end with Dogbone Hunter to try to bring more information to followers. So it, it was perfect timing um, and our goal and our objective here um, tonight is going to be a couple things. We're going to talk shed dogs. Um, I think it, it, timing wise, I think it's a good time to do it. Um, we'll get into that a little bit. Um, there's that one's. Wisconsin, that's uh, Dogbone. Dogbone. So we got some people coming in on the Dogbone page as well. So um, Michigan Buckpool, this is right in front of me here and right behind me there. Uh, if you wouldn't, so I'm going to start out with tonight we've got, so we partnered up with the Michigan Buckpool for this. They have some partners of theirs, Rapid River Knife Company. And so they have a knife that we're going to give away at the end of this. Um, we also have a few things we want to give some Dogbone stuff away. And we also have some things. We've got another brand called the Hodeg Licking Stick. We're going to be giving away a few Hodeg Licking Sticks. Participation will count. So um, we're going to be randomly picking uh, people, but it's going to be someone that has. They're going to have to be on at the end of this um, when we pick the winners. And uh, so Ryan Rosso says hello to start out with. Appreciate you guys following us and watching this. We're going to talk tonight about shed training and and some shed hunting stuff um, in in more general terms, I guess. We are going to open this up also to questions because I think there's, you know, if we wanted to talk about shed dog training and we do talk a lot about shed dog training, we talk about dog training in general. Um, but if we wanted to just do, and we've done this, where we'll do content pieces and information stuff, the value of going live, and we don't go live that often, although we did do an entire series called Live with Spry. We trained a dog literally live on Facebook couple years ago she's three now but um, we did a ton of lives at that point that was a long time it was feels like a long time ago but the value of that series was we had a lot of interaction from people that were following as far as questions go and so we did a you know we went through and did some training stuff and then it ended up being kind of question and answer to me that is the true value of doing live stuff otherwise we could just record it and play it but so what we're going to do is, because we're going to be giving away some stuff, we've got several items that we're going to give away at the end of this. Uh, we are going to base it off of some of the participation, and that would be people. Uh, someone just said they love Live with Spry. So Cooster Williams, I appreciate that. Um, ask away, and it doesn't have to be about shed training. Now, Ben is going to watch these questions because we've got, well, really, there's only two places. Well, there's four. There's four so, places. It's Instagram and Facebook that we're live on right now. So... There's four spots where questions could come in, um, and we're going to keep our 
eye on it to do our best. So uh, bear with us here as we get into a little bit of a rhythm and a, and a, a, the swing of things. Because much like dog training, um, this is something that we've not done a lot of. We don't do a lot of live videos. Um, we do a lot of seminars, which are basically live, but they're limited to 100 people or 50 people or 10 people or however many people are there. Um, we, those are real valuable, and we actually try to film a lot of those, and we post a lot of those. Our YouTube channel has a lot of seminars that we actually have done and, and recorded. But the idea of having this interaction and being able to do this is, real, I think it's a, a big plus. It's strange for me because right now I'm looking all around at these four different cameras and not only did we, we're a little ambitious here, so we wanted to make the most of it. Well, we went, didn't go live on one thing, we went live on four. So for us not doing this before, um, this is uncomfortable and a little awkward. And so we need to get in a rhythm, Ben and I. He's gonna have to watch certain things, I'm gonna have to watch certain things. I'm gonna have to maintain some focus because I go, okay, I wanted to talk about this, this, and this. Um, we really need to get used to it and get kind of in this groove. And I think that is similar to working a dog. So like today we did, we're doing a series right now called Bella Be Good. It's a documenting this dog named Bella. Um, we're film, we've been filming her since she was a pup. She just turned a year. She had a birthday this last weekend. And so I don't know how many we've filmed, 70 some videos probably of it. 77. 77, we've posted 60 or so like that. 65 just went today. No, that was our podcast, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, I guess so 50-some, 60-some have been posted. Um, we've got 70-some recorded. But we filmed one earlier today. And one of the things that we did, and this, so this is a year in, the dog's a year old, so I've been, I've been working with it for about 10 months, 9 or 10 months now. And what, we'll, what we end up doing is I always start out by syncing up with the dog. And so it's kind of like stretching out if you're an athlete, like we're gonna loosen up, we're gonna stretch out. Well, in order to stretch out, you gotta warm up. And so in order to warm up, you gotta do something physically. So when it comes to this dog, I'm stretching them out both physically and mentally, probably more mentally um, than, than physically. The, the athletic part of a dog is real easy. Um, they're, they're incredible athletes. The idea of them getting in the mindset to be thinking is a little bit more difficult, especially when they're young. And so we put a huge, huge emphasis on the idea of foundation has to come first. And I think one of the things that people struggle with is they think the foundation part isn't fun. And so it's a lot easier to do stuff that's fun. And so, and I, I recognize that, I realize that. So what do we do with retrievers? We retrieve with them. The problem with it is, is the retriever is named a retriever, like it's his last name. It retrieves naturally. We, we rarely train a retriever to retrieve. We do bring them out. We bring out the natural retrieve. We try to polish and mold and shape the delivery early on, because I do think that's a really, really important part. But the actual retrieve part, I, I brought home seven week old puppies and you just throw something out, they run, they pick it up, they bring it back. It makes us feel good. And so what, what people want to do is a lot of that. And then they forget about the stuff that is the most important, in my opinion, and that's the foundation. Um, so we're not going to just talk foundation tonight. We're not going to just talk about shed training. But there was a couple questions that just came yeah, in. We there. got so quite a few. What, uh, what was the one here? What age would you introduce a puppy to your dog? And this is the thing about this, guys. So I'll start talking and I'll start rambling and I have a tendency to do that. Um, 
and I get off on a tangent, but what I, what I want to do is, and this is where we're going to get in this rhythm, is we'll answer questions because I think this, I want this to be your stuff. Our whole reason to doing this is try to help you guys at home. Like that's Michigan Buckpool's objective with it was what more can we offer to our followers? So we're going to let you guys kind of drive it. But um, again, I will get kind of going in, in different directions. But it says, what age do you introduce the puppy to your bone shed? You want to grab that, grab that kid real quick. So we have a training dummy. I introduce a shed dog to the shape of the antler first. This is the training dummy is what it looks like. It's flexible. It's not going to poke or jab them. And the reason is my first shed dog that I trained um, was actually eight years old. And so I cross-trained that dog to pick up antlers. And she was a gun dog and a bird dog for me. She's a really nice dog. I cross-trained her to picking up antlers and it went well. And she, she found more antlers for me than I had ever found before. And so that really convinced me this is a great way of doing it. Um, I bought a puppy next and I bought the puppy just to shed hunt with. And when I started with that pup, I went about it how a lot of people think I think is how you should do it. And I, I took an antler. She was she was she was several months old. She was probably five, six months old at the time. Um, she was full of energy, a lot of drive, a lot of excitement in the retrieve. I pitched the, the antler for her. And I remember like it was yesterday. I remember right where I was. I threw an antler. It was on a kind of an icy packed down road. Um, she ran, she slid, she hit the antler and she yipped and she rolled over and she turned around and she came and she ran right back to me and she was deathly afraid of it. And what ended up happening was is because she's little, because she's sensitive, because she's a little bit awkward and clumsy, she poked herself on a hard antler and then she didn't want anything to do with them. And so I found myself in a real tough position with a little shed dog that I was trying to create into being a shed dog that was afraid of antlers. And so that was where I came up with the idea for this. And at the time I worked construction. So I was working a full-time job. Um, and I, I thought, man, it's just, you know, I, I trained gun dogs and bird dogs and I never introduce a pheasant dog to birds for the first time of, of anything connected to birds. I don't just put them in a pen with a rooster and hope I get a pheasant dog out of it because it's not going to happen. There's all, all these things that will go wrong and potentially, now could it happen? Yeah, it could, but I don't know that I want to roll the dice again. I bought this puppy. I spent a lot of money on this puppy with these big intentions of training it to be a shed dog. And at six months old, I had a puppy that was deathly afraid of antlers. Like literally pick one up, she'd go away from you. She thought it bitter. She hated them. So it was created by me. And I think a lot of the times the issues when we run into stuff when it comes to raising these dogs, they're not dog issues. They're typically handler issues. And so, and I'll take, I'll be the first person to admit I make the most mistakes. I make a lot of mistakes. I think over the years, I think I make less. And over the years, I think I've learned from experience how to handle some of the stuff and read some of the stuff before it ever matures into a true problem. So this was one of the things that I thought about was when I train these gun dogs, I start out with a balled up sock and I go to a canvas bumper and a, a puppy bumper and then I go a little bit bigger bumper. I tape some wings, but I add some scent to it. Cold game, fresh kill game, live pigeons. I take a lot of steps before a pheasant dog ever sees a pheasant. And so I want to do this similar process when it comes to a shed dog. And that's where I came up with the training dummy. So the question was, what age should you introduce a puppy to the shed antler? I don't think it's based on age. So it's a great question because none of my stuff is driven by age. None of my stuff is driven, like incremental steps are not driven by the amount of time I spent doing something, not by the amount of 
age that the dog is, how old the dog is, or how young they are, because every dog matures a little bit differently. So I always tell people, and it's a very general, broad statement, but I'll say when they're ready, and they'll go, I don't like that answer. Well, so here's a little more. When they're ready, I think is when they physically can handle it. So there's a lot, this isn't, this isn't a real small antler. Um, you know, it's, it's not real big, but it's a, probably a real average sized four point side and it's intentional. Um, I don't think if the puppy can't physically pick this up without struggling, I'm not doing it. Cause I don't want, again, I don't want, now they're not going to poke themselves and jab themselves cause it's not hard. It's not going to hurt them, but I don't want them struggling either. Cause I don't want this. You got to remember dogs are always learning. And so we're always training. And when we start putting habits into the dog, sometimes it's intentional and sometimes it's not. And so what we got to be real careful of is when the dog goes out to pick it up, if they can't pick it up, the puppy can't pick this up comfortably, they may quit. They may go out. You might be in the hallway. I got a hallway right here that I do early puppy retrieves in. I close all the doors. I put a balled up sock down the hall and I let them run out and pick it up and bring it back. If I throw this dummy for a little eight week old pup, they instinctively, predator prey, are probably going to chase it down. But if they can't pick it up very easily, and they can't carry it very easily, and they're struggling, their attention spans are about this big, and all of a sudden they get down to the end of the hallway, they go to pick it up, and they go, nah, they drop it, and they come back to me. And I go, hmm, what is, they do that two, three, four times in a row, and all of a sudden, that's a habit, because they've done something consistently. Re repetition and consistency is going to form a habit. And so that's the great part about training. It's also the very sketchy part about training that you have to be very careful of. So we don't want to train a habit today that's not desirable and need to train it out later. So the dog needs to be able to pick this up comfortably before I'm going to ever put it in their mouth. They got to be retrieving. I don't want to introduce shape to a pup that doesn't retrieving. So like I said, my first pup's retrieves are going to be a balled up sock. I use a balled up sock in the hallway. The little puppies have little puppy teeth. And I like the idea of when they go to pick that balled up sock, a lot of times those little needle teeth get hung up in the sock. It actually makes it a little bit tough for them to spit it out if they want to. And so the second they go out to get it, I'm down on the ground and I'm encouraging them, come on, come on, come on, come on. And here they come, they come back to me. And so we're doing that two or three times and all of a sudden the dog goes out and back, out and back, out and back. Now they're done and they want to do it again. And I say, no, nah, we'll do it later. And I leave a little bit of fire burning in that pup. I don't need to over retrieve a dog. I don't need to get a dog burnt out, especially because we're talking about these little ones. These little ones get tired of stuff real quickly. So the age that you introduce the pup to that shed antler shape, I don't think is driven by age. I think it's driven by when they're ready. And that means their confidence level. That means they got a little bit of retrieve built into them already. Out and back, out and back, out and back. And they, they can handle it without a struggle. So it's a great question. That was from D Coons 24. Uh, I've got you got another one? Yeah. Ben's got a question. I'll let him read it to me. Um, so he says, what do you think about Chesapeake Bay Retrievers for shed dogs? What do I think about Chessies for shed dogs? Good question. Who did it come from? JTS1031. JTS1031. <laughs> this is often been Instagram. That's dog yep, Instagram. Dog Instagram. Okay. JT1031. Uh, I think they'd make a fine shed dog. I, I, I don't... Here's the thing about shed dog training is I just don't see it as real breed specific. Um, and I, and I, I say that because we do workshops where people bring dogs to the workshops and those are not to train a dog. Those are to train people. Um, but when they, I've seen so many different breeds. I don't know. I should, I should add it up over the years. Now I think we've done six or seven years of workshops, two or three workshops a spring. So I have seen so many different breeds and that's, 
sometimes they're retrievers. Retrievers are real heavy. Um, makes sense. Chesapeake Bay Retriever, its last name is Retriever. The retrieve is in it. It's just bringing it out and polishing it that we do. Um, but the idea of a pointing dog, I've seen a lot of people use pointing dogs. GSPs are super common. Um, great versatile dog. Um, the the um, the wire hair dogs are great. The Griffons, the um, the Drawtars, the Pointer Poodles. Um, these dogs are super versatile, and they have their own little gang called the versatile hunting dogs. But they are just as good at shed hunting as any other dog. I've seen hounds do it. I've seen beagles do it. I've seen I don't know what the hell they are. They're mixes of all sorts of breeds that were rescued from a humane society. They turn into really nice shed dogs. So the question about being, um, uh, what do you want? Chessie. He's looking yep. at Chessie. You've got the retriever there. I think the thing is, the biggest thing is, is when it comes to getting these dogs, I think we got to understand what we're doing when we train them to shed hunt. We're not training them to like antlers. My dogs don't pick up antlers because they like antlers. My dogs don't pick up antlers because they get to chew on them. They don't get to they don't get to play with them. They don't have the value to the dog is not the shed. Just like the value to my duck dog is not the duck. They don't get the duck. Like the duck isn't theirs. They don't get to eat it, play with it, chew on it. None of that stuff. The retrieve, the retrieve is the reward to the retriever, not the object itself. So when it comes to a shed dog, that Chesapeake, that Chesapeake Bay retriever, the, under, the idea needs to be the dog has to understand what gets it a retrieve? Pointers point. Retrievers retrieve. Pointers don't point everything. They point certain things. And through tr when they're little, they point everything. It's very instinctive. I've seen pointers pointing butterflies. I've seen them pointing leaves that blew across the driveway. But as they mature and grow up, they realize what the point, what point is reinforced, what point is tra we train it in. I mean, we, we do certain things with them to reinforce and create this positive connection. Same with my retrievers. Uh, I've got a retriever right now named Bella. Bella um, is a dog that we're doing this series on YouTube, Bella Be Good. Documented her whole training. It's been a, it's been a great, we're still doing it, but um, it's been an awesome eye-opening experience for me because as we documented it, we, I am becoming a better trainer because I'm paying attention to different stuff. And we, we post uh, some of it. Bella's not on Facebook or Instagram, but we do promos. Yeah, we do promos. The, the video itself is on YouTube, and it's a playlist, and I am forced to take a journal. I keep a journal of it because I write a post for each time we, we, we put an episode up. And I've paid more attention to this dog um, than any other dog probably I've trained in, in 15, 16 years now. And so the thing that was interesting about this puppy is she carries everything. She wanted to carry everything around as a little puppy. She retrieved and retrieved and retrieved and retrieved. She wanted to retrieve everything. And you got to be very careful. I don't want her retrieving everything. I don't want her retrieving my wife's sandals. I don't, I, Crocs were her thing. She liked carrying around Crocs, those shoes, those, what do you call them? Like a flip-flop yeah. shoe. But she carried that around. Anything she could get her mouth on, she was picking up carrying. She's a well-bred retriever, really well-bred. And what I needed to do was be sure not to punish or turn off the idea of her picking stuff up early. I had to be smart about it and pick my stuff up. Don't leave stuff laying around that she can get at. And put her in a position to succeed. So we place train them. Uh, grab that phone. You won't be, Facebook won't be able to see it, but here's Bella right here. So as I look around my house right now, I've got two over there. I've got one over here. I've got one right here. When I put these dogs on place, she can't get at anything. Now, I don't know if you could tell, but I'm going to show you. There's a, well, it looks 
kind of picked up right now, but there's toys over there. I've got a kid. We've got a kid. We've got we've got a couple kids, and one of them is 14 months old, and so she's got stuff laying around all the time. It's the tornado, the human tornado, and I there's she's got my dog Bella wants to pick everything up of hers. So what we have to really do is make sure a set the pup up for success. Put her on place. She can't carry stuff around when she's there. So take away and eliminate the opportunity for them to get into trouble. Um, but the retrieving part of it, I think it's great for them to want to carry stuff around. Uh, we just have to understand that at some point we're going to have them understand certain things like this are worth picking up because dad gets excited and, they, and you bring it back and you get this retrieved. We condition in certain things to equal retrieve. You could put, you know, I could train a dog to pick up pop bottles. We snow just melted. I'm in Wisconsin here, so we've got Mich a lot of Michigan people, but I think we got some Wisconsin people. We had some Wisconsin people before coming in. So the snow melts and the ditches are full of pop bottles. And the reason is, is because they're just not worth anything. Like, you know, you're picking up trash in the spring because the snow banks melt and the ditches are full of it. The reason that those things are there is because they're not worth anything. And so what I need a dog to do is I need a dog to understand that this is not a pop bottle. It's not something that you just throw and you don't, don't care about. It's this is a $100 bill inside the pop bottle. If there was a $100 bill inside of every one of those pop bottles in the ditch, there wouldn't be a pop bottle in the ditch because we'd go pick them all up because all of a sudden they have value. I need this shed antler to equal value to my dog. The value is not the antler itself. The value is I get to get one of those retrieves. And so that's where I tap into... A lot for me is driven on retrieve. The biggest reward to a retriever is a retrieve. I could put a bowl of food next to a retrieve for an older dog. They're going to go to the retrieve and bring it back to me. My younger pups, the value isn't quite there yet because we haven't built it into them. They might go and eat the food. Now, Bella, I don't know. Bella would have a hard time setting something down out of her mouth to get the food. She likes carrying stuff that much. So had another had a good question here. Cigar, how, um, this is from Kaiser Williams 82. Did Cooster Williams, 82. Uh, what can I do to have my dog stop cigaring bumpers? So it's an issue. It's a delivery issue. So here's what I do when I start out with a dog. I use I use a process called hold conditioning. I don't force fetch. Um, a, that's a whole other can of worms. But I use a process called hold conditioning. Hold conditioning formally brainwashes a dog to pick something. When they pick something up, they can't set it down until they deliver it to me. It eliminates a lot of issues. It eliminates dogs that run off. It eliminates issues with playing keep away or come and chase me with something in my mouth. Now, first off, we should, uh, I'll get to that in a second. So it, it, it fixes those problems. It fixes the idea of big hot laps, victory laps when they come back with a bumper or a dummy or a bird or whatever it is. It, it stops the dropping pick it up, drop it, pick it up, drop it, pick it up, play with it. Sometimes they get into this habit where they want to play with stuff. It fixes that. It fixes the blinking. Occasionally they'll have a dog and it, I've had them do it uh, over the years and it always happens at the wrong time. So there's just, there's just nothing good about it. But the blinking would be running out to a dummy, go to pick it up, not pick it up. And you can't figure out why. And it always happens when you're ready to show your buddy how good you're doing with your dog. So you can't have that. So whole conditioning fixes that. Now, Hold conditioning is a process that we set aside a timeline for. Uh, it takes weeks, start to finish. We have a hold conditioning video on our um, on our website and on YouTube. It's free. Like literally, it's a product. We used to have it be something that we sold. We said it's so important. Let's give it away. It's literally it's an hour long produced video on hold conditioning. It's free. You can go to the website and click on it. Put it in your cart. Check out. You don't pay anything for it. 
Um, but it is a super, super important process. What I don't stress enough in that video, and I probably haven't stressed it enough historically, is that's the formal process, but it really starts the day you start making your trees. So with the cigaring of the bumpers, this is how I fix that. My dogs pick up stuff funny. When they go to the antler, they usually really struggle because they're picking it up by the tine. They're picking it up by the, they want to grab it by the rope. They want to grab it in funny ways. And what I want them to do is I want them to hold it just like that dog has it right now. I don't want them like that. Let's see. That was a terrible choice of marketing. <laughs> see that, see that picture right there? No, nope, not that one. See that picture right there? See it right there where my finger is? Right there, right there. That's how I want the dog holding it. I want him right here, nice and firm. So like if this packaging wasn't here, I want it right here. And so that's a nice firm way that they're not going to get hurt with it and they're going to bring it back. Now they don't all look like this, so they've got to figure out how to balance it. You want to start using the dogs to pick up elk antlers, you really need to have this because they got to find the center. they got to figure out how to pick it up so that it balances. So picking up the dummy cigar-wise is corrected every time they come in. And so when they're, and I don't know, Custer uh, Williams 82, how old's your dog? I watched the video and live with spry hold condition. So he just said he watched it. Uh, I'm in the process of now hold condition. So I should have scrolled down here. Uh, so he, Custer uh, Williams, how old's your dog? Um, and the reason I ask it is because you're hold conditioning right now. And I do think, and that's great. It's gonna fix a lot of these issues, but the, the thing about it is that has to happen at the right at the right time as well. We have to get the dog through hold conditioning or through teething. We can't hold condition them until they're done teething. That's six months minimum. Four to six months is when the puppies are going to leave it. So 15 months. So you're perfect. You're good. I, I've had people, I had a person send me a message the other day that has an eight-week-old puppy and they're starting hold conditioning. I said, no, 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 no. They said, yeah, I saw the video. I really want to have the dog deliver well. That is not, you can't do that. Now what you can, now not formally. Because hell, you're having a hard, we're just happy to get the dog not to pee and poop in the house at that point. We want, we have other stuff to focus on. But what we want to do is, at eight weeks old, start conditioning in the idea of holding and delivering. And when it comes to a dummy, put it back in there. So you're going to watch, if you watch Bella Be Good, one of the things that I do with Bella a lot is every time she brings a dummy in, if it's not really perfect, like literally, I, she's not been hold conditioned yet. She's 12, 12 months old. If it's not perfect, I adjust it. So every time she comes in, if it's even if it's pretty good, uh, I don't have a camera. If I had a fire hose dummy, I'd show you. Even if it's off to the side, I take it out and I adjust it and I put it back and I tell her good. And I get her under the side of her chin and I tell her how good she is. And so I adjust it every single time. And what will happen is by the time you get to hold conditioning, the dog is so used to the proper positioning it's so much quicker for you when you get through, you're gonna go through hold conditioning a lot quicker because you're almost like you're priming them and preparing them for the actual hold conditioning process. So I think you're in good shape starting at 15 months. This is gonna help you greatly. But what you need to do, Cooster Williams 82, is do not ever allow the sloppy delivery. And going forward or next puppy, from, the, from day one you start it. It's a good question. I got a couple on the uh, Michigan Buck Pool Facebook. Okay. There's a couple questions that essentially ask the same thing. Okay. Um, we have a one-and-a-half-year-old lab that does great in training and can find any antler we hide in the yard or woods. We have trouble keeping her focused in the woods for any length of time. 
How do you work on keeping the dogs focused and hunting for the duration of your walk? Great question. Year and a half old dog now, we have to remember that's from Mary May. Yep. You have to understand that a year and a half old dog is very much a puppy. Like I call them puppies from two years old and down, they're puppies. And a lot of people are gonna go, two years old, they're kind of old. No, they're puppies. So physically, they're barely mature. Mentally, I don't know that they are yet. So, and, and different dogs mature at different different points. Now, I don't think you wait until they turn into an adult dog before you train them. I think you start forming those habits very early. But the idea of a dog not keeping their focus happens a lot. I see it a lot. Um, it's under, the good part about it, Mary Marie, is that you understand. That was her name, right? Mary Marie? Mary um, May. Mary May. Mary May. The good part about it, Mary May, is that you recognize it. So you understand it. And now the thing about it is, is you don't fix it overnight. You don't just plug in more focus and concentration into a dog. It's, it, they mature when they mature. Like we don't speed that process up. What we can do is recognize and understand it and then have realistic expectations. So when it comes to taking a year and a half old dog out, yes, I think you should. But I also think when it goes to shed training versus shed hunting, I think one of the biggest things people run into is, they train in their yard or they train in the neighbor's 10 acre woods or they train in the neighbor or the three acres next to them or the 40 acre park. They got their spot that they go to. And this is a, a mistake that happens to all trainers, myself included. We run into this issue where we get in a routine or a rut and our dog memorizes the script. Like they just, it's a rehearsal thing that they just, yeah, we know what we're doing. They might have struggled when they first started out, but then you did it a few times and they got the hang of it. And which is, that's the process. You do stuff over and over and over again and they get good at it. They're forming habits. They're creating behavioral things. What happens is, is we get in this rut of this is our routine. We go out and this is, I, I get this question so often where they go, okay, I'm going to take 10 antlers. I'm going to go hide them in the woods. I'm going to leave them for an hour. I'm going to come back and get the dog. I'm going to take them out of the yard. This is the video that I get sent so often. And they say, find the bone or go get the antler or where's your shed. And the dog runs, boom, 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 picks up 10 antlers. They go, oh, I got myself a shed dog. And then they go and they put the dog back up and they show their video to their buddies. And then they go shed hunting. And I want to know where they go to find 10 antlers in the first five minutes because I want to go with. It just doesn't happen. I go to some really, really good spots and we might walk all day and not find 10 antlers. And so what happens is, is the dog has to recognize and realize the difference between training and the real thing. And the dog goes, this is no fun. And so we, I think we have to be realistic in our expectations from a training standpoint to transfer it. It's just like transitioning from a, a gun dog to a hunt. There is a lot of transition that takes place. And that first season of gun of hunting is for the dog. Like there's a lot of times I don't bring my gun the first year because I'm going to handle the dog. And so what we need to do is we need to get more realistic with our transitioning and slowly work. I'm looking up at Mary, Mary May there. We have to slowly work to add the idea of focus and concentration. And part of it you can control and part of it you can't. So what I don't recommend is doing the, the five-minute walk to find 10 antlers and then call it quits. I think what we do is I don't mind the idea of an antler or two that are put out. Here's the thing. I, I think the dog memorizes the idea of we're going to run out of the kennel. We're going to hit the field real hard. We're going to have a five, 10 minute blast where it's just 
balls to the wall, put the pedal down, go, 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 fine, 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 get exhausted, come back to dad, we'll go back in the truck. And so that is what gets conditioned into the dog to understand that shed hunting, and it's just not. So I think I take session. I'll, I'll do a lot of sessions where we will do stuff. Bella today, for instance. I think Bella, did Bella make a retrieve? One, the last one. She made one retrieve. We worked the dog for about, we worked the dogs for about 45 minutes. And I asked, I, this is a focus issue. So the issue I had with Bella was I need Bella to focus more with outside distractions. So I had two other dogs with me and we made, I don't know, I probably made four or five retrieves in 45 minutes. And Bella got one. She got the last one. And she had to, and if she hadn't focused and hadn't been able to stay focused throughout this training process, she wouldn't have got any retrieves. I wouldn't reward it. And then what I would say is, boy, what the hell did I do wrong in this session to not get the dog to be able to focus? I would have said, I need to simplify things. I had um, a question yesterday about uh, a dog that we actually worked with and the owners were throwing three balls for the dog and wanted to send the dog for the first one, tennis ball, and they sent them. So we take tennis balls, we sent them up with antler scent. This is actually a liquid antler scent comes with that kit. But we'll put that on tennis balls and we'll skip it across the grass and it lays a nice scent trail and it forces my dog to use its nose. But at the end, it finds itself a real nice reward, a scented tennis ball. They love tennis balls. So I'm connecting some real positives to the idea of the antler. But what happened was is he wanted the dog to pick the third one last he wanted them to go back and pick the first one first and what that dog couldn't do is couldn't get that last ball out of its head so he'd line it up and the dog was cocked sideways and he'd send it to this one and the dog would go right to the third one pick it up and bring it back and he goes i don't know what i'm doing wrong here and so someone tagged me into it and said what would you do here and i said first off we simplify it so i don't know what mary may's sessions look like but i can almost say without knowing or needing to know simplify it. Whenever you run into an issue with your dog, simplify it. Make less opportunity to fail, make more opportunity for success. So the idea with that guy was I said, well, first off, I wouldn't start with three. I'd start with two. I would set it up the way you are. I'd do 180 degrees difference. I don't want to put them at a tight angle because that's really hard for the dog not to switch. So start it at a complete 180. But what I would do is just a few mechanical things. I'd look at that last ball that you threw. I'd line the dog to it like I'm going to send them. And I'd tell them, no, leave it. And then I'd heal them off. And I'd take a few steps towards the one I want them to go to. So I'm, I'm, I'm telling that dog, leave that one alone. Now, I would have to have taught the dog what leave it meant before that. Leave it means don't pick it up. And so we do a drill for leave it. So it's all this stuff about building foundations that you put stuff up, you stack stuff up on top of in your training. And if you don't have the foundational stuff, the top, it falls down. And so more going back to the idea of that focus, the focus part is a bigger picture thing. It's slowing everything down in our training, requiring them to not always be 100 miles an hour. And the, the thing about it is, is we as trainers are guilty of it. Sometimes we're in a hurry. We've got stuff we want to do. We got, we're going to try to get our 15 minutes in. You're better off spending 15 minutes making no retrieves and having a lot of control and focus with the dog to get it through it than you are going out there and bang, 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 retrieve, 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 retrieve. Because what the dog is starting to do is realize this all happens really quick. And, and nothing happens quick, ever. Got to slow down. It's the biggest issue with people is going too fast. What do you got there? All right. There's a lot of questions that 
have to do with scent discrimination. Okay. Like that one's. Which one? There's quite a few that I have an antler from a couple years old. This one right here? Yep. Do they lose okay. scent? Okay, so I'm going to read it. Does a real antler lose scent after years? My dog seems to have a harder time finding old antlers versus fresh sheds. How much do scenting conditions play into success of finding sheds? Great question, Dan. Uh, so that came from Dan Rose. Do antlers lose scent after years? They, the scent changes. Everything has scent. And so when it comes to the idea of what our dogs, first off, when it comes to shed training and shed hunting, I think I want dogs to work nose and visual equally. I, I don't go one way or the other because the best nose in the world won't smell an antler if it's not downwind. So I do want them to recognize certain shapes equal a retrieve. That equals that reward. What I also want them to understand is that certain scents are probably worth taking a look at. Okay, so I want them to pick up certain scenting clues that are out there that go, hmm, that tells me I should go take a look at it. And if I look at it and it looks like something that I recognize to be one of those things that dad likes to bring me to bring back and I get rewarded for, praised, then I should pick it up. If I smell it and I go over and I look at it and it goes, no, that's not one of them, don't pick that one up. So that takes a while for dogs to, to figure out. It, that's what we're training. That's what our training is supposed to do. So does the, does the antler lose scent after years? I don't know that it loses it, but it changes. So different scenting, bone is bone. Bone's a bone's a bone. Like bone has a scent to it, a lot of scent. There's, there's dogs that are finding cadaver dogs that are finding dead bodies and skeletons that have been burned. Like they went in, a, it was in a fire and the dogs are detecting fragments of bone. There are skeletons and pieces of bone that are found underwater by cadaver dogs. So for us to think, I think what the problem, what a big problem when it comes to scenting stuff and scent discrimination is, I think we insult the dog's nose. I think it's insulting to a dog sometimes the way we think about them. We have no idea how to, pro how to even process the amount of information that they can process and the speed that they process it in with their nose. A tracking dog is a great example of that. But I mean, literally a tracking dog tells which way direction is going, the, the, the object or animal is going based on its older scent that way. Meaning it's fresh, you know, it's older scent, meaning the fresher scent is this way. So the dog's nose processes and tells it that's fresher than that. That's the direction I should go. It, it covered that distance in a millisecond. It's a millisecond older and it tells it that's the way to go. So for us to think that, you know, it's really hard for us to wrap our mind around. The other thing is real important is to understand that the way dogs process scent is very different than ours. We don't smell individualized scents like a dog does. They smell it in layers and they process scents separately, individually. So does the scent lose its scent after years? It changes. There are certain parts of a fresh antler. Now your dog seems to find the older, uh, it says my dog seems to have a harder time finding the old antlers versus the fresh ones. The fresh ones have different scent. Uh, the fresh ones have hair and you, I, you look at a pedicle on a fresh antler. If you, first off, if you don't think antlers smell, here's the test. I don't care if they're old, and this is a good test if you want to see what it is versus old versus new. Take antlers, put them in a Tupperware tub and put the lid on it. Set it in the front seat of your truck on a sunny day. Put it on your dash. Let it get hot. Let it warm up. Take it off, peel off the lid and put your nose in there and take a big whiff. It'll make you gay. Like it stinks. So 
the reason it, that we can smell it right there and the reason it's so strong is because it's all concentrated. It's all focused. It's all There's a ton of scent in a very small area, and our little noses can actually smell it. Now, you let that dissipate. You take away a bunch of those antlers. You only have one of them. You put it out into different scenting elements and situations with winds and all that stuff. It's the parts per million are way less. We can't, we can't detect it. Our dog can. So what, we, what you can tell is even the old antlers that are put into a tub like that stink. It's just they stink differently. And so when we go to train, the reason I make, I make this scent myself. Um, I've got a freezer full of stuff that's involved with it. I'm not going to tell you exactly what's in it, but there's lots of different scenting elements in there. And not, not all of them have to do with an antler because there are certain scents that happen. You know what happens? I, got, I saw a video of a guy that did it, um, that got a, got, a, got a coyote doing it, marking it. If you ever look at a fresh, a fresh shed or even a shed that's in the snow, I see this all the time. Uh, if you're a trapper, you'll recognize this. Uh, they urinate on them. They mark them. Antler lays in the snow and you walk up and there's a little yellow spot on it and something peed on it. Well, coyotes pee on them. My dogs go and smell every little, it's, this is dog, this is dog talk. This is the way dogs communicate. My dogs will scent check when we're shed hunting strange things. Uh, corn stalk that's sticking up by itself. My dogs go over and they start smelling on the tip of it. I know why, because a coyote peed on it probably. So they go over and they look at that and they say, nope, not a shed, keep moving. But if the coyote peed on an antler, an experienced shed dog will smell that. They're probably going to check it out anyway. They're going to go to look at it. They look at it, they go, oop, there's one of those things that I should pick up and bring back to dad. That's putting the pieces together. That's connecting all these dots with these scenting clues. So you said your next part of that question was, how much does scenting conditions play into the success of finding sheds? A ton when it comes to the scenting aspect of it. Now, the, the visual part of it makes a big deal too. You know, the, you could say the same about how much that the scenting conditions play into it. You can say the same about visual conditions. Because if you go and there's three feet of snow, the visual scent conditions, the visual conditions, how you can see the antlers are gonna be greatly affected by three feet of snow. You're just not gonna see them. Will a dog smell them? Yeah, they will. My, I've had a dog, I had one of the big, there's one right up here. Uh, up on the top here. Let's see. You want me to grab it? Right up in here. Yeah, it's a big four-point sign. It's right on the corner by that wood duck. Grab that. That's a shed that I found in Iowa. Um, a lot of those are Iowa. But that one right on the corner. So this is an antler, and this one's chewed. This is a fresh shed. This was a fresh shed. This was several years ago. This is a big four-point sign. Uh, chewed the brow right off. Got this. You know, there was some, there's chewing on it. This was laying under the snow. Like, we couldn't see it at all. My dog was digging in the snow, and I thought she was chasing mice. And it was right next to a pond, and I thought she was actually screwing around. I was on the back of a four-wheeler with my buddy, and she's digging and digging and digging and digging, and I, I told her, come on. Her name was Finn. Um, Finn is the dog that is the reason for this. She's the one who poked herself on an antler. But so I told her, come on, Finn. Come on, Finn. Get out of there. Come on, Finn. And she just wouldn't leave it. She wouldn't leave it. She wouldn't leave it. And all of a sudden, I saw something, and I went, Brian, I think there, I think there might be an antler right there. And he goes, yeah, right. It was frozen in. And so she smelled it. I had another dog that, um, my first dog, the, the eight-year-old dog that I trained to do it, that one pu was pulling and pulling and pulling in a cornfield. And I thought she was eating deer poop. It's, a, the, it's the shed dog caviar. They eat tons of it. So she, I thought she was eating deer poop. And all of a sudden I looked and I could see a pedicle. And I thought, what the? A tractor had combined the corn pushed the antler right down into the mud, and she picked that out. She couldn't see it. 
she smelled it. She started to pull it out. So if visually there's no way she could see it because it was buried in the mud or buried in the snowbank, that those visual you know conditions affected it greatly. The scenting part does too. No question that barometric pressure, moisture, humidity, wind, all that stuff impacts scenting majorly. And if you don't, you know, like a great way to show, a great way to see it is canine trainers. Um, you know, the the police and the drug dogs and the bomb dogs, they ha they struggle with conditions, and they'll see performance tracking tracking guys see it all the time with tracking dogs. We do we do game recovery training as well. We've got products for training dogs for game recovery and tracking. Michigan has a huge tracking community, and so and some great guys over there. But the the tracking dog knows, and the tracking, the tracker knows and understands that the scenting conditions play a huge part of it. I've pheasant hunted before with dogs. Saw a rooster run across the road and into the ditch. Oh man, there's a bird. You know, you road hunt wherever we were, so we get out and and and, it's, and you hunt this land. You didn't have to get permission or anything, but the rooster runs across the road and runs into this grass and runs off into a CRP field. And I thought, here's the bird. Put it in, flush it up, shoot it put the dog down to, to flush that bird, the dog acts like there was never a bird there. I just saw it. I know it's there, but it's a dry, windy, hot, warm day, and it's extremely hard on a dog from a scenting condition standpoint. Those types of conditions for a shed dog affect them the same as they do as, as a pheasant dog. So yes, great question, uh, Dan. It makes a huge difference. All right, we have a lot of questions relating okay. to age. So like here, how are we doing time wise? We have forty five minutes. Thirteen minutes left. Okay, we don't have till the Instagram shut down. Oh, because Instagram's gonna close off in an hour. So if we have to, we can we can go back on it too. Yeah. So okay, let's keep going. Um, keep going with the questions. These are good. So, Sorency. Sorency. Any any potential to train a pup, uh, dog that's lab that's three years old? Absolutely. Uh, in the very beginning, we talked about it. My first shed dog was eight years old when I cross-trained her. She was a gun dog and bird dog. So here's the thing I think you need. I don't care what the age is. I think what you need is you need a good foundation. If you build a good foundation under a young dog, you can train him to do anything at any point. It will come back to the foundation because for you, Sorinsky, Sorinsky, you're going to get to do the fun stuff probably if you have a good foundation. If your dog understands he'll sit, stay, come when I call you. Because the drills you're going to do to turn them into a shed dog are going to require you to have the dog know how to heel, sit, stay, come when I call you. No question. The dog's going to have to do some retrieving. The dog's going to have to have a delivery. If you don't have foundational stuff, it becomes a big, big struggle to do a drill. And it, the drills are what develop skills. So I make this comparison to, bas to sports. Basketball players... You don't get good, you don't get to be a good basketball player or a good basketball team by playing games, by playing tournaments. You need to understand fundamentals of the game. So you need to be able to shoot, you need to be able to pass, you need to be able to dribble, you need to be able to understand rebounding, some defensive concepts, offensive concepts. Boy, it's a from a simple game of basketball, all of a sudden we start getting into it and it becomes a little bit complex at times. But the but there's a real basic part of it. Shoot, dribble, pass, rebound. If you don't know how to do one of those, if you don't know how to dribble, you won't be able to play basketball. Like, I don't care how good of a shooter you are, you can't play basketball. So I don't care how good of a retriever the dog is, if the dog doesn't quarter and cast and stay within range, what are you going to do? 
If the dog doesn't come back when you call it, someone asked here, how do you get a dog to recall? Um, we'll talk about that right now. So if you can't get the dog to come back to you, you can't take the dog out. So without recall, how do I shed hunt with a dog? How do I train a dog to be a good shed dog? So the, it is that foundation and I, I liken it back to construction because that's my background. I used to do construction. Without a good foundation, buildings tip over. Without the foundation, we can't do the stuff we want to do with the dogs in the field. And quite honestly, we can't do the stuff we want to do with them out of the field. You got to remember, shed dogs shed hunt for a short window of time. What are you going to, it's not a four-wheeler. You don't park it in the garage when you're done with it. What are you going to do with the dog the rest of the year? We've got family dogs. Our, these four dogs that we just showed that were laying on these beds in here, 12 months out of the year, they're family dogs. They live in the house. They go to camping with us. They go to the kids' soccer games. They, one of them is a therapy dog. So she's the White Tails Unlimited mascot. She's the mascot for White Tails Unlimited, and she's a certified therapy dog. And my wife took her through this thing, and she can take it to any hospital or school. We go to a local school that has kids with cognitive disabilities, and we work with them in assemblies. We bring them all. All of them come to that school. And so as important to me as shed hunting is, that stuff is a, I can do because I have the foundation, which is also why we were able to develop it into a shed dog. So great question. Now recall, how do we get a dog to recall? A lot of it goes back to when they're little pups, we start forming that habit early. If you can't get your dog to come back to you, it's a nightmare. And what you're going to probably run into, especially if you got puppies, I don't know how many of you guys are watching that have puppies, but if you got puppies, they run into this wall. Like at seven or eight weeks when we bring them home, they tag along. They don't want to be left alone. They think we're the best thing in the world. They're not real confident. They want to be right with us. And so I use that time similar to how I talked about we want those young retrieves, those early on retrieves to, to, to form a good delivery. Well, we want these young puppies to form the habit of stick with dad. Dad walks away and goes, come on, come on, come on, come on, blow the whistle, beep, 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 beep. And here they come. They come running to us. That's habit forming if we do it consistently. And one of the things is when they're little, that's what they want to do. So take advantage of it. Don't neglect that time because once once they get to, I always see it around 12 weeks, 12, 10, 12, 14 weeks, just depends on the dog. But around that 12-week mark, all of a sudden, dog grows up, dog becomes a little independent, dog becomes a little more confident, dog decides, you know what, Dad, you're not as interesting as that. And all of a sudden, they find other things. And I don't care how good of a job you've done, that's going to happen. And so what I need to do is, in the meantime, leading up to that, anticipating that, I start getting the dog to understand, to give a little pressure on the neck and understand that eventually I'm going to put a leash on you in a collar, not a shock collar. Don't put shock. I don't use shock collars at all. That's a whole other pocket or another, whatever you want to call this. But a, a flat collar, a little nylon collar, and I'm going to bump, 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 bump the dog around. The dog's going to learn to kind of stay in heel position. By 12 weeks, we're doing that. And so that allows us at 12 weeks when they hit this wall of independence and they say, see ya, I put them on a lead and every time I take them outside where I'm not going to be able to control them, instead of allowing that to happen and turning that into a fun game of keep away, chase, dad's going to come get me or ignore them altogether. By 12 weeks, I can't catch them. At eight weeks, I could, but they are not looking to run away from me. They're looking to stay with me. But by the time we get there, then when they go out, I'm going to put them on a lead and then I'm going to bring them back in. Now, how am I going to get them to do recalls? I'm going to set them up for success. I'm going to put them in that same hallway and close all the doors. I'm going to put them on one end or I'm going to go to one end and then I'm going to call them to me. And they just don't have a lot of other options. And so what you're doing is you're the most exciting guy in the world at that point. And they get in this habit of when he goes here, come on, 
whatever your command is, I use a little whistle and beep, 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 beep. And here they come running to me and I praise them for it. I tell them how good they are. Now, I, I'm not against the idea of a little bit of kibble to get a puppy to come to me. Real, real little puppy. You watch Live with Spry, the video series that we did. I use a little bit of kibble and I let the puppy follow me around. And when they get to me, I give them that kibble, their food. I don't use any special treats or anything, just a little bit of their food. I phase the food out pretty quickly because I don't like the idea of getting pups to do things out of bribery. I, I'm not going to wear a fanny pack full of food around so that my dog listens to me. I want the dog to listen to me out of habit. And so I form the habit early on and I don't necessarily reward it with kibble or food. I substitute that out for praise pretty quickly. But I will use, I'll use it a little bit early on. Um, I'll use it for sit. I'll use it for recall. Once we get past that, then I start forming it early enough to get the habit where we condition in the behavior that I'm looking for. It was a great question. I don't know who asked that about recall, but it's a good question. I've got a good one here. Ben's got a good one. Um, We've got six minutes left on the old uh, insties. If you want your dog to be multi-purpose, to retrieve birds and pick up sheds, does it matter which one you teach first? No. For example, would they understand better if you taught them birds first and then shed? No. Hang on. So we got a pork and hold on. We got a pork. Oh, okay. okay, we're, we're back. <laughs> so question was sequencing in order. First off, in sequencing in order, so we did we did now these guys aren't gonna be able to get in on the free stuff that we're gonna give away. Should, we'll do it before. Okay, we'll pick a winner, but we're gonna pick a winner in the next six minutes. So don't hold back. Uh, so, what sequence? Sequencing is important. That's why our, we've got these. We got these videos. We're going to give away. We we've got a puppy video and we've got a foundation video. We've got a shed video. We've got um, that hold conditioning video. It's a four pack combo. We're going to give give them away. They're digital, so we're going to give you a link. You're going to be able to download them. But we're going to pick three winners. We'll give okay. that four pack combo away before we're done here. But those are sequential. So that we, we film those in sequence because I do think sequencing is important in training. One thing has to come first, followed by this, followed by this, followed by this. It's a building block thing. You build off of it. When it comes to what do you train first, sheds or birds, I think it's driven by the calendar. So, and it's driven by the age of the dog. So, or the progress of the dog more than the age. But so Bella is, you know, she's a year old right now and she, the first opportunity she's going to have to really hunt is going to be birds and she's going to a, she's a pup we're training for an outfitter so they're going to do tracking with that dog and then they're going to do birds they're going to do duck hunting stuff with it so she's going to do some early teal season that'll probably be the first opportunity which is like september 1st here yep. or something like that dove is i think the same thing yep. maybe around then so we are going to have her we're going to be focusing on her picking birds because that's the first opportunity we're going to have to do the real thing now if she were a sh developing into a bird dog and a shed dog, our shed season right now is just about wrapped up. I personally, the northern parts of the state probably are still going to be okay, but as soon as it starts to green up, as soon as the ticks get really bad, um, I'm, I'm, I'm done shed hunting. So we get this melt from when we were first melting, and it depends. Sometimes the springs are a little bit later, sometimes they're a little earlier. But for, for me, where we shed hunt, which is over on the western side of the state, it's about done over there. And so I won't be, wouldn't be shed hunting with her for another year, the real thing. In between then, we're going to be doing some bird stuff. So my focus will be, let's get her prepared and ready for this bird stuff. The thing about, that's the specifics. The thing about it is understanding that even if it's shed dogs, even if it's bird dogs, whatever you're doing with the tracking dogs, 
there's a ton of overlap. And so the skill sets are, you know, I can train an, a dog for shed training using a tennis ball and antler scent. And it's also tracking because I'm rolling it across the grass and letting the dog track it. So there is a ton of crossover. Game finding ability in itself, general hunt command, could be done with three different scents in the same drill. And the dog is going to be conditioned to pick them all. So um, I don't know that we, I don't put a ton of time on separating, compartmentalizing my training when it's, there's so much overlap. So three minutes, let's pick. All right. Let's go. Let's. Who's the recall guy? I'm gonna do the recall guy. Um, here, D Coons. D Coons, are you still on? If D Coons is on, you're a winner. Pick one out. Pick one out of that. And then I also want to pick Nature Girl Forever has made a lot of comments, and she's very positive. And the reason I say that is right now, guys, we're gonna lose the Instagram people here in a minute. We could go back. If on. you want to continue, maybe just have them go to Facebook. Yeah, or if you're on Facebook, you could, you could jump onto yeah. our Facebook stuff. Um, it's on both Dogbone and um, Michigan, Buck. Michigan Buckpool. But the reason I picked the Nature Girl was uh, we need more positive stuff right now. We're in a real weird spot. Um, we're all in it together. And I think if we could fix, if we can all do one thing, I think it is try to do something positive. And try to kind of change your mindset to be open to the positive stuff. And I'm not saying you guys aren't, but, uh, boy, there's a lot of it that isn't. And I really feel like this whole, through this whole thing, uh, we're going to come out so much stronger. And we're going to come out so much better off. And I don't hesitate right now to lean on faith like I do. I do it regularly um, in times like this even more so. So I, I, I stress to do it. So we're getting nature girl and we got the recall. Do you got, we got the name got on one. that one. And uh, Ben's going to pick a third winner. Brian BR Whitman. BR Whitman. Brian Whitman. I'm so sure. let's do this. Is that Michigan Buckpool? This is Michigan this Buckpool. This is That's Michigan Buckpool. One more winner off Michigan Buckpool. This is going to be right here. We're going to do Cooster Williams. Cooster Williams, you're going to have the knife from Rapid River. Uh, Rapid River uh, Knife Works. So send us a DM. Send a DM to the Michigan Buckpool. Nature Girl Forever. Send a message. You're going to get a dog bone uh, pack uh, of videos, digital. And what was the other one? We should probably write these down. Well, we're going to. The recall question. Yeah. Well, otherwise we can DM them. Yeah. We will. So we'll reach or, out to you. If yeah. You so we're going to lose you on Instagram here in four seconds, three seconds. That one's got 14 seconds. We'll stay live on the two you on the two Facebook ones. Yeah. Um, and so now. So continue watching on Facebook. Okay. So let's go to this one is which one? This is Dog Dogbone. Dogbone. Okay. So let's pick. Let's pick a few more questions. Because batteries are getting low on this too. Does it... Uh, Bonnie Norwood said, I assume any dog can be taught. I have a herding breed. No question. Um, seen it done with so many different breeds. It's not breed specific by any means. Um, so, yes, you can do it. You can do it. Um, here's the one, the question that we just had. Uh, Gretchen said she loves the podcast. When's your next seminar? We don't have any seminars scheduled right now. Uh, we have workshops scheduled. We have a workshop scheduled for May that where fingers are crossed that we were able to do. That's the 8th through the 10th. 
very, very limited space and maybe none left. And I don't know for sure because we've had some people that are going to transfer into it. Uh, we also have one June 5th through the 7th. Those are three-day workshops. We do them here at our place. If you want more information on it, I can send it to you. Um, just shoot me an email. My email is jeremy at dog one hunter. Uh, Jen King from Vegas. That's the buck pole one. See if there's any questions on that one. I hunt state land. Do you take the dogs to specific areas, bedding areas and feeding areas, or all over the woods? Great question, Bill. Um, we, I think from a shed standpoint, this is my experience, food wins. So in order to find an antler, it's got to be in the right spot. The deer's got to be in the right spot at the right time. And the right spot is, the right time is late late winter, early spring. You know, I, I saw some bucks in April yet that pictures of guys that still have deer that are holding. March, by March, most of them are pretty shut out. February and January, you're going to find a few, but people go way too early, and I think they bump deer all over, uh, especially if it's private land. Now, you're on state land, you said. So state land is a little bit touchier because he, there is potentially a little bit of pressure um, from a person standpoint to get in there. But I still go. I still fall back on the idea of I would rather wait and leave the deer alone, and have it be a micro area that I have to look rather than like you said having to look everywhere. But I think that sheds are found. Eighty percent or more of the sheds I find are within forty acres or less, maybe twenty acres or less of a primary food source. Because when you think about when they're shedding, what are they doing? A, they're survive, trying to survive, and they survive based on food. And that food is late season is usually pretty limited as far as availability. And so what do they need to do? They need to bring in more calories than they burn in order to live. And so what does that mean? They can't travel very far. So they don't want to travel very far, especially if you have snow. So between I start in the food and I work my way back to bedding. And between food and bedding, 80% or more of the sheds I think are found. Now you'll find some in some real strange places because it does happen, but I I do think those are real primary. You know, I've, I've got a place up in Northern Wisconsin and I can't tell you how bad I want to walk some of these clear cuts that were cut this winter because there's all tops down and every time I go through there, and a lot of it's private and I can't, I can't shed hunt, but there is some public stuff up there that was cut. But the clear cuts in the Northwoods are full of deer because when you think about what they need to eat, the browse that they're eating, the clear cuts, the logging operations, the active logging operations, that's like, that's like an egg field for them. And if you were in an area that had standing corn, that is their standing corn. So I do think um, focusing on the food and working your way back to bedding is a really good uh, way to do it. That's how we do a ton of it. Um, we had some couple of tracking dog questions on here. What do you got? Um, young blood tracking dog, Native American Indian dog in training. He does very good, but seems to get sidetracked sometimes with chipmunks and squirrels. How do I fix that? And also Bill, who had just asked that last question, also asked if we've ever had dogs chase deer. Okay, so let's talk about the tracking one first. The tracking one is similar to the, the question before that was Mary May, I think, who had an issue with focus. Focus and distractions can throw dogs off. What I like to do is prepare them for it the best I can. So specifically when it comes to tracking dog, so we'll lay, we'll lay trails for training. When we lay trails for training, the purpose is not necessarily to teach the dog how to track. They know how to track. They do it instinctively. It's more for me to understand and read the dog. 
understand if the dog is on scent or off scent, understand when the dog loses scent, when he picks it back up. Reading their body language tells me a ton about what they're finding. Now, when you're really tracking, you're also trying to make some confirmation and see some visual things that are going to show that the dog's on the right track. But reading their body language during training allows me to understand it when it comes to the real thing. When it comes to preparing them for these distractions, we'll start intentionally without distractions. I'll start in an area that I know there's not a lot of distraction. It's just the training center. And the dog's going to work it and I'm going to really be able to focus on it. But if that's all I ever do for training, when I get into the real world where there's deer that are crossing, where there's other animals, where there's lots of different things that may be of interest to them, they're never going to have worked through that. And young dogs especially become scatterbrained a bit. So what we'll do for us is I've got food plots literally all over our property. And so as dogs get older, I'll prepare them for tracking conditions by literally laying a trail across the food plot. And then I let it get dark. And then I let it get an hour or two where I know the deer have come into the food plot. And the deer probably all walked over the scent trail and went, hmm, what's this? And then they went in about their way. And then when we come back, they jump up. They, we spook them, they run off. They're putting adrenaline off, which is a scent clue that dogs follow when they're tracking. And so they're, they're contaminating the scent. They're contaminating the area. And so we'll work the dog through and I'll watch the dog get distracted and come off the line. And I know it's not tracking the right stuff because I'm the one who put the trail down. And so it's a way for me to get them to understand that they follow the wrong thing, they get nothing. They might follow the fresher track but they don't ever catch up to it. They don't ever get the reward. And the reality is from a tracking dog standpoint, when you trace back to their history or their ancestry, the dogs that were bad trackers died. The dog that couldn't follow and find the dead animal burned more calories than he brought in and he died. The good trackers are the ones that didn't follow, the ones that weren't mortally wounded because they're never going to get them. Or if they did get caught up to them, they'd be able to take them down. But Literally, they evolved themselves through good tracking dogs that way. Our dogs are all descendants of that. So when, when it comes to this other one, have your dogs ever chased deer at all? Dogs that chase deer, whether it be a shed dog, a pheasant dog, a tracking dog, a whatever dog, any type of dog that you're working in the field, any dog that chases a deer is not a bad pheasant dog, shed dog, tracking dog, whatever dog. It's a shed dog, tracking dog, whatever dog with a control problem. And so what we need to do is that, that goes back to every other, every other little temptation that's out there, distraction, squirrels, chipmunks, birds, anything. These dogs have a job. And so in training, we teach them. I worked with Bella this afternoon, and Bella would really like to have chased a few robins that she saw land in the field. She, she, they got her attention, her ears perked up, she paid, she focused, she dialed into them. And I saw it, and I reminded her, easy. And she looked back to me and she went, oh, I better pay attention. And off we went heel and we go into our, we're, we're in the middle of a session. We're in the middle of a drill at that point. So the dog that chases deer is disrespecting you to say, this is more interesting than you. And so what we need to do through training is slowly add the temptations and slowly overcome the distractions before we ever put them in a position. If you can't control your dog, you shouldn't have them out there. Because what it tells me is you're, it's too much too soon, and it will create major issues. 
So it's motivation or inspiration enough for us to work the dogs to get them into position where we're not going to lose their focus, not going to lose them to be distracted to something like that running off. So let's see. You can uh, here, here's one. Megan Steinman, who has been following some of our stuff. We've been, we've, I think we did a podcast on her. Uh, one of her questions. She said, I never thought I would have been able to place train a dog until I saw Bella be good. Now my five and a half month old puppy stays on place in my office all day long. I take her out a few times, walk, potty break. She's fantastic. Thanks for the tips and videos. Thank you for the support, Megan. The idea of place training is super valuable. And if you, and you guys couldn't see it because we had the phones, but I've got four of them on place right now laying in our house. And I know they're not going to get into anything. And I know they're pretty safe there and quite comfortable. They enjoy it. So you, Megan's got five and a half months old doing it as well. Um, Kyle Middleton said, Kyle Middleton is a friend of ours who was at a workshop of ours. Um, unfortunately, we ended up canceling. We had to cancel our next steps workshop, which was in April. And you know what? That's just it's the way it goes, guys. Uh, tough times. We're going to get through it. But anyway, he said, during the training session, I mix in the antler dummy with the bumpers and tennis balls. Um, first, is that a good idea? So I thought he was saying it like he did it. Yeah, I do it all the time. Second, he tends to boil over on the retrieve of the antler. He'll drop it and pull grass before delivering. Hold conditioning is the issue for sure. How would you help settle this excitement on the antler? So hold, So what I would do is I would focus session or a setting that doesn't allow this opportunity for the boiler. You said he boils over, he drops it, wants to pull out grass and play with it before delivering. I'd go onto the concrete probably. I'd go on the sidewalk or the driveway. I'd go on my, Kyle's been to my house here. I'd go on my front porch where it's concrete, stamped concrete and railings, and there's just nowhere for the dog to go off. So I'm eliminating or minimizing some of the opportunities for it to goof off. And instead we start taking away the opportunity for that habit to form. And we allow for the desirable to happen. Go out, pick it up, remind them, hold. I mean, hold conditioning is important. You need to have that. But the second the dog gets to the dummy, hold. And the dog's going to look at you and go, back to my old ways of hold, turn around and come back. And good. And then you can take it out and give it back. Take it out, give it back. I like to share it back and forth with them. So they understand that there's just no keep away. This isn't run over and he'll chase me with it. It's give it to him, he'll give it back. Give it to him, he'll give it back two, three times. And then the dog is in no has no reason to be worried about you taking it away from them. They'll want to share it with you. It's kind of a team thing. So I do think there is no issue with working multiple objects throughout the same session. No problem at all, as long as it doesn't create an issue. Um, but that idea of the antler, take away some of the temptation. So again, earlier I said something about every time I've come across an issue, my first answer is usually, and you can use this, put this in the back of your mind. Anytime you bump into something, what should I do? Simplify it. Simplify it. One less thing. Take something away from it. Um, it's teething right now. He'll work. He'll work. First off lead today was success. Awesome. I'm, I, teething is a time to take a break from retrieving. It's not a time to take a break from training. It just allows us to work on fundamental stuff. It's a real nice window um, that allows us to do that. Uh, you got another one on this one? Um, a lot of newer clear cuts, two or three years old. There you go, Bill. Now call me in five years. Let me know if there's some drumming going on in that clear cut. Do you work multiple dogs at once? I do. Uh, Alex, Alex, Alexandra, Rand. Do I work multiple dogs? I do my older dogs because I get more stuff done 
It's more time efficient for me with certain things. I don't do something. We just, this is a great question because we just talked about it. Mark Alexandra, a little star on her. Is Alexandria going to get something? It's a great question. Uh, send a DM to Michigan Buckpole um, with your address. I today <laughs> worked multiple dogs together because Bella needs it. Because Bella's getting really good at working on her own, but she struggles when she's working with other dogs. So she needs it. Now, I won't start doing something new with Bella. I have stuff I want to do that's new with Bella. And we're going to be doing it in the coming weeks. I won't start that with other dogs around because I know she'll struggle. It, it'll be too much. It'll be too much for me. It'll be too much for her. So when it comes to doing something new, I'm going to work on these dogs individually and get it good. And then when it gets really good, I'm going to change conditions. It might be location. It might be adding some distractions, just the stuff that I was just talking about. And we're going to slowly add to it until it gets good everywhere until the environment doesn't change the desired behavior. It, it can be replicated anywhere we want. And then what I'm gonna do is start changing the environment again, and that might be bringing in another dog. And I'm not gonna bring in a dog that's wild and struggles. I'm gonna bring in a dog that's real cool, calm, and collective that just sits there and doesn't really take away from anything. It becomes just a distraction for the pup to work through. So I do it. My older dogs, who if you go to our Instagram or our Facebook on Dogbone Hunter, you'll watch a couple videos, Alexandra, that are great examples of it this past weekend, worked dogs together. And the value of it was, some of the stuff was value for the older dogs that I was asking them to do stuff. The there was also value being gained for Bella not doing a damn thing, just sitting there watching, because it was very hard for her. It was very difficult for her to overcome that excitement and see these other dogs getting to do what she wanted to do. That's what I need her doing right now. So yes, I work them together, but not early on. And puppies, absolutely not. I don't work puppies together at all. We gotta separate them, master this stuff by itself, and slowly add it. Um, so great question. Uh, let's do one more off of each one of these. He's um, three years old, considered old. young. I thought it was. What does it go up to that one? He's three years old, considered young. I thought it was until seeing this. Move your thing. No, this. Is he too old to wreck? No, not at all. It, considered is three years old considered young yeah they're young i mean i wouldn't consider it old i think i see dogs really come into their prime typically around four or five um that's the pace that my dogs work at but so i wouldn't say it's young i certainly wouldn't say it's old um you you said i thought it was until seeing this is he too old to correct no not at all um when you say correct i think i'm, I'm assuming you mean like right i always tell people correct is such a negative term whenever we say correction everyone thinks okay beat the dog up that's not that's not correction correction to me is better off worded right them i think sometimes correction is a very positive thing it's a real good thing dogs need it people need it they need to be corrected corrected doesn't necessarily need to be bad it's better off if we said we righted them i you know i'm I, we did a we did a podcast not too long ago. Our podcast is called the Dogbone Podcast, and P-A-W-D-C-A-S-T. But if you search it out on any app, app or whatever, you'll find it. But we did one on blacksmithing because I took a box blacksmithing class with my wife, and one of the things that the blacksmithing guy told us, the teacher said, what you're doing is you're coaxing and correcting, coaxing and correcting. That's what you're doing with the steel. You coax and correct it. And I said, man, that's exactly what we do with dogs. 
We coax and correct, coax and correct. Correct doesn't mean bad. Cor when it comes to blacksmithing, it just means put it back, put it back to the way it was before you started pounding on it. So straighten it out. And so I said, we're, the right word is to literally write, like we're writing or we're writing something, making it right. And so I just think, you know, you said something about, is it too old to correct? No, not at all. Um, and I think it's probably prime. It's probably a great time because it's probably mentally got the capacity to do some stuff that you probably want to do with it. Be realistic though and understand what's there for the last two years and 10 months. Because you've got, if you got the puppy when it was two months old, you've had it for two years and 10 months of habit forming. Were those habits good or bad? The bad ones, we need to write. We need to correct. The good ones, let's use those as our foundation to build off of. Okay. Kind of threw the comments on the Michigan Buck okay. page, but... Watching, need a new commercial. I don't know what that means. I don't either. Rusty. Rusty. Rusty Priest. That's Rusty Priest from down south. I'll give you a commercial, Rusty. Good buddy of ours. Okay, got one. Let's do one more here. Yep. Then what are we gonna do? We gotta pick. We gotta pick, pick some, some hodig. We gotta give some hodig licking sticks away. So, uh, what should my expectations? This is Michael Cabral, and I think we have messaged back and forth with Michael. This is what should my expectations be for my 16-week-old GSP puppy in regards to place training? We have a, tried a handful of times. Two minutes is a big win. Thoughts? Good. I'd be going for two minutes and 20 seconds. I, I don't know that I would say, so 16 weeks old is probably my favorite age. That's four months and they're just sponges and they're, they're past that point of not being able to do a lot of stuff. They can do just about everything I want them to. I do think you have to be realistic and understand that they have real short attention spans at that age. So I think at 16 weeks old, you know, for me personally, I go, man, I probably, I'm maybe leaving a dog on there for hours and Michael's gonna go, oh. I'm struggling to get two minutes. I'm doing something wrong. No, Michael, you're not doing anything wrong. I don't know. Your dog is totally different than mine. So there's some people out there right now with a six. There's some people out there right now. I'll make you feel better. How about this? There's people out there right now with a two-year-old dog that can't get their dog to stay in place. Now, they've never tried it, and they've never really worked on it, but they can't get them to do it. So your 16-week-old is ahead of them. So does that make you feel better? Here's where I think we have to really pay attention and understand is when it comes to raising these dogs, we gotta. We can't care about what other people are doing with theirs. We should. We need to focus on ours. We need to focus on us, and we have to not necessarily be judging or comparing or monitoring. I don't do Bella Be Good, and I didn't do Live with Spry, and we don't do any of the series right now. We got a new one called Inside the Workshop. We show like a lot of workshop stuff. It was done because of the time of this COVID stuff. We're trying to give you as much information as we can to be able to help you as a trainer at home. A lot of people have some time on their hands right now. So how do you take advantage of it and make something positive out of it, right? So that's our goal with it. That's why we're doing this. But the reality is, is when you've got Bella Be Good, Live with Spry, you saw this dog in this video, you saw this guy in this page, you saw this, and all of a sudden you look at him and you go, and I'm guilty of it too. You look at him and you go, hmm, how old is that dog? Because then I start comparing it to mine. Well, I'll tell you right now, Bella or Spry didn't retrieve till she was 10, almost 10 months old. Didn't make a retrieve till she was 10 months old. She's a fine dog right now. Watch some of these recent videos. She's a real nice dog. But she just struggled with some stuff. And I never gave up on her. And I wasn't going to say, you didn't do it by a certain age, so you're no good. It all happens at different times. 
And so what we can't do is we can't make comparisons, engage or measure ourselves and our dogs based on everybody else's. So where should you be? Right where you are. I have no problem with you saying two minutes. I love you saying two minutes is a big win because that's positive. I'm all about big winning. And you mentioned big winning, and we always want to end on wins. And so if you are talking that way, Michael, you've got a positive outlook on it. If you said, I'm super, fr I get this a lot. I'm super frustrated. The dog's got me on my last wits. I'm just have blah, blah, negative, negative, negative. I'm going to go first off, change your attitude. Because if you don't like doing this, which you clearly don't like doing it, if you're sending me that message that way, if you don't like doing it, you won't do it. If you don't do it, you won't see results. That's a mindset thing. So if you, I think, that's why I love foundation work. You heard me. I love foundation work. I find get a lot of I get a lot of enjoyment out of it. I think it's great to see these young dogs grasp these concepts and it makes me able to do a lot of fun stuff with them. And so I love doing it. I do a lot of it. I get excited about it. Where, you know, I love retrieving too, but if all I liked was retrieving and all we did was retrieving, I'd have a dog that retrieved that I couldn't control and have a lot of issues with it. I'd be real frustrated with it. As soon as I got frustrated with it, I wouldn't work with it anymore. As soon as I didn't work with it anymore, we're, you see the direction. So I think you're in good shape there, Michael, at two minutes. Now, what I challenge you to do is over the next, today's Thursday, between now and next Thursday, I'd like you to work on place training with your dog several times a day with the idea of set this up properly. Don't have a bazillion distractions around that drive the dog nuts. Isolate the dog, put it in a spot where it's going to find success. Do it in, don't do it when it has to go to the bathroom. Just gonna get, let me make sure it's outside. It's got a chance to go to the bathroom. You brought it in, you know, you know the dog is good. You might take the dog for a little walk in the morning. Four months old, you should be on a lead by now. So by four months old, I'm going to take the pup for a little walk and let it, let it loot, burn some energy off. I hate the idea of burning energy off. Here's what I like to do. Challenge them mentally and physically equally. So take them and let them do some physical stuff, make them think about it the whole time. Don't let them free run. All you do is condition an athlete that way. I did a podcast on that. But get that dog to think a little bit, to walk a little bit, bring it back in, settle in, have yourself a cup of coffee, be in a pretty good state of mind, check your email. I don't know what you're doing work-wise these days, but get in a spot where you're feeling pretty good. Put the dog right there next to you so that you can watch it. Don't get, don't get distracted and not pay attention. Be right there and be working on whatever it is you like, something that you're in a good mood about, and you watch that little pup for a while. And as soon as that pup settles, spins around, lays down, you say, good. I don't know what your dog's name is, but Fido, good, Fido, good. Don't get them super excited. Don't get them wound up. Good. And then look at your clock. And you might get to three minutes. And if you get to three minutes and you think the wheels are maybe going to come off, you go down by Fido and you say, good boy, Fido, tip Fido off. Reset him, do it again. But I think once you ad adapt this mindset of this is, this is pretty fun, this is kind of good. If the dog is just a pain in your neck, put the dog in the kennel and don't try to place train him. Because your mindset, your mental state isn't there. And you just won't, you'll be banging your head against the wall. You will never gain from that. So reset, be in the right state of mind, get the dog in the right state of mind, find two and a half minutes, find three minutes, find, do that for seven days straight and let me know how it goes. Because I guarantee you by next Thursday, if you do this consistently, if you do it repetitiously, the habit will start to form. It's going to be the right one. That's what you need. Okay.
Ben, grab the whole days. Or you got another one. I got one quick one. Um, any ideas on picking up a lost scent with the dog? Return to last blood or let them sniff it out? All depends. It completely depends on what the scenario was leading up to it. So any ideas on picking up the lost scent? Up a lost scent on a dog. Return I'm assuming blood. like... I it all depends. So you might you, I do agree with you to be marking visually last confirmed evidence, and you may reset there. You may it depends. I think it all depends on the body language of the dog. If you are confident that the dog's on it, I let him work it out. But if you think the dog has lost it, so you now my question is lost scent. Is it lost on your part, on or the dog's part? So it says lost scent on a dog. So if the dog is telling me I don't have it, help him out. So I do think a tracking, a tr the tracking scenario is very much a team. I don't think it's just hold on to the end of the leash and let them, let them do their thing. I think it's reading them. I think it's a balance of not getting in their way at times. I think it's a balance of encouraging them at times. And so I think the answer is completely driven on what is the dog telling me. I do think that that's one thing I would do is go back to my last confirm and reset them. Let them, let them, let them figure this out, but put them back on, a, on in line. Now, keep in mind, every time you do that, it's going to make it tougher. It's going to make it tougher for them to sort out because we're contaminating. Every time you contaminate, it's a, it's a, it's mixing up the puzzle. It's, it's all we're doing is when we're tracking with a dog, all we're doing is giving them lots of pieces of the puzzle, which are clues, scent clues, and asking them to put it together. Okay. Hold egg licking sticks. I got two of them. Now this is another Michigan buck pull. The reason we're doing this is because Michigan buck pull is a great, great place that people would probably have interest in this. So these are this is another brand. So Dogbone is one of our brands. First off, I want to thank you guys. I want to thank Michigan buck pull for having us. That's Michigan buck pull there, right? Thank you guys for having us. I want to thank you guys um, for spending this time with us. I want to thank Ben for staying late and helping me. Um, lots. There's. There was a lot of questions that we didn't yeah. get to. So I apologize for that. Um, you guys know me by now. I ramble quite a bit. So uh, thank you guys. I want to thank the Michigan Buck Pool. And, and, and also, you know, we're going to try to do more stuff like this. I do. I'm not joking when I say it. I just really think right now is a, a time that we really got to help each other out. So uh, stay strong. Stay positive. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Uh, lean on your faith. I can't say it enough. I mean, I'm, I've, I type that to every person I'm talking to these days because I just think it's that important. So thank you guys for all the support. We appreciate it more than you know. So we're going to sign off right an hour and a half. That was, that was the worst. So, all right, guys, thank you.